It is Tuesday, May 10th here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada, Mark Schofield here just as we are every single weekday for the rest of your lives. We're also joined by Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy, the director of the Scouting Academy, in fact. And Dan, I want to welcome you in and uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, glad to be here. Now, uh, Dan, obviously we've gotten through the draft, which for... Uh, a lot of folks is kind of, you know, the, the big hurdle uh, until training camp starts in mid-July. But this is actually a relatively busy time of year for teams. And I, I'd like you to just go into some of the things that teams are actually looking at really over the next four to six weeks and some of the, the just general themes uh, that kind of happen during this period here. So I think the thing that you want to remember when looking at the calendar this time of year is that by mid-June your hope is to send your staff home and get a month off basically. So the middle of June through the middle of July typically empty house. You know your coaches are gone, your scouts are gone, your execs are gone. Everybody's trying to get a little bit of time to recharge the batteries before coming back for camp and starting 11 months in a row all over again. So what you're trying to do this time of year is get everything in place such that when you come back and go to training camp, again, all the T's are crossed, all their I's are dotted from a staff to roster standpoint so that you can hit the ground running. So you are putting together your 90-man roster. So you're going through mini camps right now, playing around the last five or six spots, bringing some tryout people in, um, letting some guys go that you brought in as reserve futures that you now don't need because you found somebody you think is more promising. Uh, in addition to the 90-man roster, your coaching staff should be set, but you may be bringing in your intern coaches. We just saw like a Byron Leftwich going to spend the summer with Arizona. It's that time of year um, to bring those gentlemen in, get them in place. Uh, you're looking at obviously finalizing your scouting staff. So from that standpoint, Big-time moves like Philadelphia bringing in a Joe Douglas from Chicago are going to happen. Then the trickle-down effect, Chicago's got to promote one of their national scouts to college director. Now they have a national scout. They'll probably promote one of their area guys to national scout. Now they've got an area job, so forth and so on, all the way down to their interns. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it's a big staffing time of year. And so you've got, you've got a short period of time here after the draft to put all this into place. When you talk about, in particular, the uh, the staffing that goes on during this time of year, you mentioned that you have some people coming on just as interns, potentially, uh, whether that's a three- or six-month position. How exactly is all of that structured? Are those temporary jobs through the summer, or do some of those, in fact, turn into longer-term positions with organizations over time? Are you talking coaching or scouting or a combination of both? Uh, let, let's start with scouting, I guess. Let's start there. So most teams uh, have three general categories, I would say. Uh, and they could tweak it a little bit. But the first one is your training camp intern. So for the duration of training camp, typically through the 75-man, maybe your 53s, whatever that is, five or six weeks, um, they'll bring somebody in. These days, it's a lot of college undergrad types um, because there's not a guarantee or an expectation for that employment to continue past then you can send the kid back to school uh, and he can finish up and then maybe try him again next year after the training camp internship the next rung up is your quote-unquote full year intern that's somebody that's been brought in typically from the training camp 
through the draft, so approximately nine months. Um, they'll do heavily pro-oriented stuff in the fall and then switch over to college to help through the spring. And then again, after that is done, no guarantees. They'll review that. They might ask you to come back two or three times as an intern before, again, much of we talked about Chicago having an opening. Until an opening comes, they rarely ever create positions uh, for scouts. And then the next block that I've seen more recently is a few teams are really starting to get behind the idea of kind of scout school and bringing along their people uh, in a more um, tenured way. So, for example, San Francisco, Arizona do two-year contracts. And they bring in two people for two years. Um, they'll stage them typically different years so that there's you know opportunity to bring somebody in annually rather than two contracts expiring. But they do that so that they can expose those individuals to a variety of areas, train them more thoroughly over a longer period of time, vet them uh, more closely. Because you'd be surprised how much it's throw a guy in the deep end and sink or swim. Dan, I'm curious uh, with regards to that. Obviously, there is a ton of turnover in terms of coaching staffs and front offices uh, in the course of a couple of years here in the NFL. So in some situations, don't you effectively, through doing that, train someone to be someone else's assistant then? You know, I hear that argument. And yes, you're certainly going to train people that may move on to other organizations, no doubt about it. But I guess my argument back would be I would rather train up quality people, use them for whatever period of time we're able to, um, and then have them move on and be a quality person somewhere else than to not staff or train my team properly and therefore be at a deficit at any point in time. I'd rather have three guys fully trained and lose two than to have zero guys fully trained. Dan, moving away from the staff inside for a second, we're reading a lot about minicamp tryouts and player tryouts and voluntary workouts, things like that. How much actual roster construction is going on during this period, this like month of May? You are appeasing different parts of your organization that might have a strong opinion. Um, you know right now the arguably 60, maybe 65, maybe if you're a really deep roster, 70 guys that are actually competing for a spot. You pretty much already know the individuals that you're expecting to cut at the 75. You know them today. Now, somebody could surprise you. I'm sure Malcolm Butler in New England wasn't exactly you know coming out of minicamp expecting to be um, a productive player for them. So right now, if you've got a wide receiver coach, you've given him 11 guys in rookie minicamp, and he's he walks into your office as a decision maker, and he says, you know, I want this young man from Iowa, and I want to get rid of the guy from Middle Tennessee. If you're the GM, you just just do it. You know, you appease them, generate a little goodwill, and you'll move those pieces on or off. Um, it could be a coach, it could be a scout, um, you know, whoever really has a strong opinion to, to slide those people on and off. But it's not the biggest piece of roster construction right now because there's not a whole lot of game film on them. And at the end of the day, we try to leverage that as much as possible. Dan, any examples of guys uh, just that you know of that may have come off of that back end uh, that may have been unexpected to make it? onto a 75-man and eventually a 53-man roster? Well, I mean, the one I typically point to is a Victor Cruz with the Giants. Uh, this is someone that was not the top of their wide receiver list as an undrafted free agent. Uh, clearly went undrafted. Teams were not clamoring over him. I was fortunate to be on the coaching staff at UMass his senior year. So I remember, you know, 
our staff, um, particularly Brian Christ, our wide receiver coach, fighting tooth and nail to get the guy some attention and love. And uh, I, I bet you, you know, if you were to get Jerry Reese to be blunt about it, he did not expect you know that young man to really be competing for a roster spot. But he went out and performed so admirably. Um, he ended up pulling a hamstring late in camp. It was probably, I don't know, a three- or four-week injury. They basically redshirted him. You know, they put him on IR with a hamstring injury and, and told him, get one more year of work in this thing, and you'll be, you know, obviously in position to really contribute. And he did what they said and came back and, and obviously won a starting spot in a second contract. So, Dan, say these guys actually get the month of June off. How quickly did they get back at it in July, and how quickly did they turn their sights to week one of the regular season? So... Depends on if you're kind of going away for camp or if you're staying at your facility. But there's a couple of days there uh, when you get back to the office where you're getting your bearings around. And then if you go away to camp, you get about 24 hours to unpack your bags and get situated. But then your your boots on the ground, you're off and rolling. You know, the college guys are in. They spend about seven to ten days evaluating, you know, their team's roster. And when they're not at practice, they're setting up their schedule to go on the road. And then they're gone. They're off hitting camps at the colleges in their states. They're um, you know trying to get those players locked and loaded as early as possible. Your pro guys are immediately preparing for week one. You're going to every one of the preseason games of your first three opponents. You're doing advances on those. You're practicing advances on your third and fourth preseason game just to kind of get yourself situated, make sure you have the mechanisms for what you're doing in the booth on game day. I'm not sure many people understand the pro scouts or whichever pro scout did the advance report for that game will actually be in the booth, generally speaking, with the coaching staff calling personnel. What does that mean? Well, if you're on the headset with the defensive coaches during the game and the offense is trotting out players, the, the personnel guy, the pro scout, will be there telling the guys it's 11 personnel, it's three wide receivers, it's 12 personnel, it's 21. That gives the coordinator the ammunition to then call their personnel group. Are they going to go to nickel? Are they going to go to a big nickel? Are they going to go to jumbo? What have you? Um, and so you're doing that chess match back and forth, keeping your coordinator up to date. So you want to get those mechanisms down as early as possible. So if there's any communication uh, gaps, you can get those straightened up. Dan, um, we heard sort of during the draft process, the Patriots, Nick Cassero was talking about how, you know, their scouts were already moving on to 2017 tape. Do these, do teams already have their watch lists set for the next draft class before they even leave in June? Yes. Um, this week and next, generally speaking, the teams that subscribe to Blesto and National are having their spring meetings. So for the, take the Giants, for example. We put up in the tracker this week. They promoted their Blesto scout, Chris Watts, uh, to the southern region of the country. And their pro intern last year, Marquise Pendleton, is going to be their new Blesto scout. What does that mean? Well, of the nine teams that subscribe to Blesto, that group led by um, longtime personnel guy Tom Modrag and his right hand, Dustin Regan, those two guys take those nine assets. So there's a gentleman from the Giants. There's a gentleman from the Steelers and from the Panthers and from all of the teams that subscribe to Blesto. And Modrag and Regan schedule those guys out all across the country during the springtime, collecting, as you mentioned, 2017 reports, getting ready for next year's class. And then all that's being collated, early reports, early measurements, early grades, so that you can give the personnel directors and the GMs right now basically a full book 
Um, here's generally speaking what to expect. I mean, it's not a 30,000 foot view. I'd say it's probably closer to 10,000 foot view, uh, but it's a good jumping off point. And so between Blesto and National, you're covering, I want to say it's somewhere between 24, 25 of the 32 teams. Uh, so they have all their stuff together. New England, for example, is an independent, to my understanding. So they have to send their own people out to gather 2017 information, or maybe they can purchase Blesto or National if they're, if they're so interested to get that going. Now, if you know what your college guys are doing and that haze in the barn on the 2016 class for those guys, like the combine, then it's easier to shift them off to you know, junior film on the 2017 class and get them going for sure. Dan, uh, can you give our listeners a little bit of information on what Blesto is and how it actually works? So Blesto uh, is an acronym still stands for the Bills, Lions, Eagles, and Steelers talent organization. So, you know, if you, if you read the stories of the Gil Brandt, um, is the, the guys that were kind of inventing scouting as we now know it, um, they recognized that it was really hard for an individual team to cover the entire country with just boilerplate information, player's name, player's school, height, weight, speed, and, and early you know, opportunity for a grade. And so they started compiling these resources together and sharing them so that they could be better prepared. Now, these aren't final grades. These aren't all the secret sauce or the nitty-gritty details. It's boilerplate information but it allows the individual teams to help each other. So from the Bills, Lions, Eagles, and Steelers, that original four, uh, some have left and are now part of national like the Eagles, um, but still Blesto as it stands, um, as his name stands, and they have, like I said, nine teams that subscribe to that service. Very good. Well, Dan, unfortunately, we do have to call it a day for uh, the day today. We will make sure that we uh, continue this tomorrow, though. I know that we're going to have a couple other things that we want to chat on with you. So make sure you tune in tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. We're going to have part two of our conversation with Dan Hatman regarding roster management. That is tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast.